says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to an off-season edition of The Tip Sheet. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me as always is my good mate, 60s. It's been a, a little bit between recordings, mate, but it's good to have you back on board for another episode of The Tip Sheet. Mate, it's good to be back and it's good to have some freedoms floating around. You know, I, t- I have to tell you, I haven't wasted any time in getting back to paraleagues. <laughs> Myself and Yoko went down there for a feed on the weekend, so... Uh, it's good that the club's back open again and welcoming patrons. It is the home of the Eels. So, uh, yeah, didn't waste any time getting back there. And hopefully we can start to see a few more freedoms. And uh, you and I will be back to doing our live podcasts at the uh, at Paraleagues next season, mate. And I've given up hopes of a TCT Christmas party, but maybe, just maybe, it's uh, back on the cards now, which would be a very, very cool way to wrap up season 2021. Well, we have liked to do that in the past, mate, so uh, it's definitely on my calendar that we have a get-together for Christmas for uh, TCT. Yes, indeed. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, mate. Good news, bad news, maybe a bit of no news, but it's all over the the board for Parramatta this week. We've got re-signings, people being uh, signing elsewhere, potential recruitment. We've got statements from former players. We've got revamps of junior systems. There is a lot to talk about. Oh, mate, it's... There's hardly ever a shortage of something to talk about when you follow a club like Parramatta, but it does does seem that there's plenty to cover today. And um, we've also got our feature story on the Canley Vale Cookers and our chat with uh, Natalie, yeah, the, the wonderful Natalie. of the Cookers, mm-hmm. that'll be part of this podcast. So please um, stick with us through to the end of the podcast. You won't be sorry. All right, let's get straight into it, uh, the Parramatta Eels. And this is something that you actually... Uh, Maybe your first bit of breaking news or, or pseudo-breaking news as a tipster, uh, you got on the front foot of this one and, and intimated it about a, a day or two before it actually became official, but uh, the Parramatta Eels got on the front foot, quashed all the speculation, announced that head coach Brad Alpha has re-signed until the end of the 2024 season, which will be two more years of playtime until he's then a free agent. What do you think about that one, mate? Obviously, mate, I'm welcoming that news. I think it's a a brilliant move by the club. It's, um, to me, it made a lot of sense because stability has been a key component of the Eels' consistency in performance and and making themselves regular visitors to the NRL final series. Obviously, we'd all like it to go a little step further and, and to maybe be in the big dance at the end of the year, next year. But you you have to look at how have we got to this point, and Brad Arthur's he's a, a major part of that. He's he's moulded the squad, he's developed players, he's brought players through from pathways. It's obvious that the group enjoy playing for him, and I really I didn't see that the club would do anything other than this, and and they've always indicated their support for the coach. And uh, even when there was the Eels were going through that four-game losing slump, the club came out and publicly backed him. And it was the sort of thing where the, the punters and the pundits all said, well, 
he's dead man walking as soon as you got the full support of the board. That means that's the end of it. But full support of the board meant full support of the board when it came to the eel. So, yeah, great news, mate. I, I'm, I'm really pleased about it. You, what about yourself? Yeah, obviously very happy. And, you know, you look at the end of the season and like you said, the the destination might not have been quite where we wanted it to, but the actual culmination of that journey was fantastic. The Eels playing, you know, arguably the best football in the finals outside of the Penrith Panthers who would go on to win the premiership. In that game, they lost against Penrith, who we've covered in detail. But, you know, not only one of the best finals games of the modern era, but the Eels rightly aggrieved to have not gone ahead with a, a Miss Symbian and some you know, other contentious decisions. But, yeah, going back to that four-game skid, and we'll, we'll talk about it through the entire course of that, you know, downward trend in that sports turn around very quickly, you know, one way or the other. And you can be on top of the world and then in two or three weeks you're, you know, bottoming out and crashing out of the finals. On the flip side, you know, that our teams can also come good very quickly. And Parramatta showed that uh, whatever happened in that four-game slide between injuries and a bit of, you know, bad play and, and guys carrying, uh, playing and carrying, you know, significant nicks, um, they managed to get over that and play some fantastic football from the Melbourne Storm game forward. So very happy to see Brad retain, very happy to have that stability, like you said. And um, it, it also goes uh, to mention with it that the assistant coaches were uh, retained until the end of 2023, I believe, uh, prior to... Was it 2022 or 2023? It might have been 2022. No, I think it was 2022 in that yeah, first no, instance. They were re-signed yeah. prior to Brad re-upping, so... More stability at the top, which is a good thing. As Parramatta fans, we know what instability can bring to a club, um, having had decades of it uh, prior to Brad Arthur's tenure. So, yeah, a, a really nice way to start this podcast, a really nice way for the Eels to build into season 2022. Yeah, it's uh, what you said then was quite interesting because when we look back at, at that run of matches, it only took uh, two losses, I think, for the, um, for the outcry to start about mm-hmm time to move on from the coach and uh, I, I mean in this in the grand scheme of things it's it's indicative of I suppose uh, the rugby league world in social media the way journalists and the media play to the let's put it in inverted commas the outrage in uh, supporter land when losses come along it's not something there that's unique to the eels you see that with a lot of clubs if they have a run of losses, the call for the coach's head is straight out there. And it's, as I said, it's it's probably a sign of the times that and also everyone's looking that... for something to talk about and someone to blame. But, um, you know, it, if you if you look at how a, how a team or a club is tracking, that generally gives you the idea, the, the perspective of how how things are really going within a club. No, that absolutely, mate. And it's always worth remembering that we as fans, and I use the royal we for certain here, uh, live vicariously for our football clubs and our sporting clubs. So when they hurt, we hurt, you know, more, you know, as much as the place, not more. And that's why you often see those knee-jerk reactions because you have your everyday lives and that's why you have the escapism through sports. And when you're, you know, your your venue or your outlet of escapism is struggling, it hurts you that much more. So you can you can always understand why fans lash out like that, even if it is frustrating and you do want them to just have a modicum of understanding and, and patience, I suppose. But for the Eels- well, I think just the the last the last thing I was going to say on that is that the Eels have developed a, a style of football which, when they execute it well, troubles 
the likes of the Storm and the Panthers mm -hmm. who have been sitting at the very top of the tree in the premiership table for the last couple of seasons. So um, it's – and what then happens, of course, is that the club itself under a head coach has a philosophy about how they'll play football and that, that then transfers through the lower grades and the pathways about – the type of footballers that they're looking for, uh, you know, not just ability, but attitude-wise as well. And w when you make a change, it really carries through to all levels of the football program. So any change that's made really has to be very carefully thought through and the decision is made whether, that's act whether it's going to be beneficial for the club or whether the best course for the club is to stay with something that's working and ultimately that's what the Eels have decided to do, to stay with something that's working. Mm -hmm. And as we know in the NRL, there's a lot of things that don't work when it comes to coaches. It is a tough gig. And, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And having, having a guy that's got you a consistent top four contender, that is uh, very much a case of the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah. So good news to start the podcast, good news going from there. Um, been speculated for a bit in the press up until now, and it still wasn't official per the club, but I imagine they'll do their signings roundup uh, late in the preseason or later this year. But uh, I think it was David Riccio of the Daily Telegraph, one of one of a ilk like that, uh, confirming that Mitch Rain is on the move from the Gold Coast Titans to join the Parramatta Eels, and he'll be our number two hooker on the depth charts. Mitch, a very capable hooker. Um, he's done plenty of starting work at, uh, I believe, the Pen of Pampers and then the Gold Coast Titans. Not a spring chicken, he is 31, but uh, gives us a lot of experience, a lot of stability. I mean, we use that, that term again, 60s, stability, um, to deputise Reed Marnie. Yeah, and as you said, he's got 208 first-grade games across all of those seasons. Actually started off at the Dragons, Correct. where yeah. he was a contemporary of uh, the other former Eel, Cam King. Uh, Cameron King. Yeah. So... Um, and, you know, I've got it in the back of my mind that we've had an interest in recruiting Mitch Rain in the past, and I don't know whether it ever got to the stage of formal negotiations, but I'm pretty sure they've that the Parramatta's had their eye on him as a potential recruit in previous seasons. So it wasn't a complete surprise that they would have had their eyes on him again when it came to providing depth in the hooker position. The other thing, I, I wrote about this today in a, an instant reaction post on the Cumberland Throw, is that with that 200 and ga 208 NRL games on his resume, he started a lot of those seasons not being the expert's selection for the starting hooker for the roster that he's been a part of in a lot of those seasons. And yet, he's ended up forcing his way into the first-grade team virtually every year. And and you don't build up 208 first-grade games without playing a lot of consistent NRL football across those seasons. So, as you said, a, a very, very solid recruit for the Eels to get. He's when you get to the final series, as we did this season, without having an experienced dummy half, sure, the likes of Ray Stone or Will Smith can get a job done, 
But there's a difference between getting a job done and doing the job at a level that an, an experienced and um, well and highly skilled dummy half can provide. And that was possibly the difference between, I mean, apart from a few decisions that <laughs> we still will, will feel aggrieved about, but um, who knows, even, even with calls going against us with a, an experienced dummy half in the team in that final against Penrith, we might have been a force that even uh, a few calls might not have stopped uh, from getting the decision. Yeah, given that it's the position that handles the ball the most 60s, you can't complain by getting an experienced hand and an experienced head uh, like Mitrain in to deputise Reed Marnie. Reed, we know, is a rep caliber dummy half, and obviously when he's fit, he's going to just, you know, hold, the, hold down that starting spot. But, you know, even if you ignore potential injuries to that shoulder or just, you know, injuries in general because that can happen, uh, the fact that is that there's a good chance Reed could be out for a game or two for State of Origin. And so at the very least, you've got Mitrain there taking on the uh, dummy half responsibilities for those games, which is huge. So very happy with that recruitment. Very astute stuff from Mark O'Neill, Brad Arthur, and the rest of the recruitment panel. So well done there. And yeah, and it's a, a nice... We, we talked about the holes in the roster in our podcast, and that is definitely right at the top of the list was a backup dummy half. And there's a little bit more to do, and we'll talk about that shortly. But before we get there, we've had a, a resigning, a recruitment, and now we've got a, a player departing. And somewhat surprisingly, and you already mentioned him, mate, uh, in passing, when I was talking about the dummy half role, and it's Will Smith. Uh, we all thought he was going to uh, re-up at the club for another year, um, and instead he's off to the Gold Coast Titans where there's a potential starting berth for him. So good luck to Will Smith. He was a a much-appreciated member of our squad. I think 60s is probably the, the best way of saying it. He sort of filled out spots all over the park throughout the entire back line, dummy half, a little bit of small ball lock forward as well this year. Uh, never shirked his responsibilities. Fantastic clubman. Uh, really led the way uh, for the Indigenous relations for the club. Uh, just a fantastic bloke and a, a very, very handy player. Yeah, I must admit that it came as a surprise to me. I thought it was just about across the line that he was extending his stay at the club. Um, the the Eels wanted him. It's I saw somewhere there was a headline and it said, unwanted Smith signs with Titans <laughs> or... Words to that effect, and I was—I thought to myself, "Well, no, <laughs> the Heels did want Will Smith to stay, but whether it's been um, a, a sizable difference in the contract offer, whether it's he sees himself as a, a realistic chance of starting, yeah, in well, the, no, in no, the Jamal starting Fogarty, uh, no Jamal Fogarty. I know they've got both uh, Brimson and Peachy competing for fullback, and that could play into the halves battle, but." There's definitely oh, you mean of a, Cam- Campbell, not Peachy oh, Campbell. Campbell, sorry. Yeah, my my. Uh, I was thinking of a, like a young Peachy, and it's like no, no, it's a young Campbell. <laughs> you're right. Uh, with Peachy, obviously off to the Tigers, the other Titan that's on the move there. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit of play there, uh, a little bit at play there in the spine for the Titans, meaning that Will's probably a, a good shot at either a starting berth or a major role uh, on the bench. Whereas here, even though he plays an important super utility role, it's in limited minutes. So. That's probably a, a factor there, perhaps a bigger paychecks effect there too. But this is a move where you can't help but there is no malice at the player leaving. There's no bad feelings. Will was a fantastic competitor, an incredible clubman for us, and one of those players just wishing the best. If I, The only caveat there is that he can play well against Parramatta as long as the Titans lose to us. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sad to see Will go. He was a great part of uh, 
the club in recent years? Yeah, loved and admired by plenty within the club. A lot of whether it be these is player the players, the staff, uh, supporters. The, yeah. the other thing they noted it was a two year deal for the Gold Coast Titans as well. So maybe the extra year of security uh, played a part there too. Whereas he might have been year to year contracts at Parramatta. But yeah, uh, he had a fantastic farewell season with us. Was all over the park again, playing roles everywhere. And like I said, off the field, just an absolute champion, uh, a paragon of you know uprightness and what the young men should be aspiring to. So wish him well with uh, the... Well, he's going from the blue and gold to the blue and yellow, so at least he's got the familiar kit on. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've... what well, we've had a resigning, a recruitment, a departure, and now we've got... A, I won't say drama, uh, but there's a little bit of intrigue in the air now because uh, we always knew that the... Well, I was going to say the Redcliffe Dolphins, but they're not the Redcliffe Dolphins, they're the Dolphins... Well done, NRL, on that bizarre decision. The Dolphins were always going to be a huge factor in player movement for the 2023 season, weren't they, 60s? Absolutely, because as soon as you're talking about 30 roster places being available and obviously the coin to splash out, and it's effectively added, I suppose, say three to four elite contract yeah. availabilities at that club. Now, what positions they decide are going to be their, you know, go to any elite contracts, um, I'm not sure, but it seems like Regan Campbell-Gillard's agent is positioning himself for one of those uh, top-end-of-the-scale contracts. And if you're, playing, if you're playing the recruitment sweepstakes or the media sweepstakes into what player would be the first one to officially opt out of a contract or signal their interest to play for the Dolphins. I think Cameron Munster would have been the most favoured uh, pick there. If you you know drew his number, you would have been laughing. Um, maybe some players like Brandon Smith too from Melbourne Storm or uh, the other hooker, Grant. Uh, Harry Grant yes. would have been a potential you know Queensland boy and whatnot. And obviously there's players all over the park, but... Reagan Campbell-Gillard would not have been <laughs> the short-odd favourite. Uh, Reg, with a, a very unique contract structure, actually, and that's part of what's at play here, uh, obviously joined the Penrith, uh, Parramatta from the Penrith Panthers after signing a five-year extension. And uh, the way it broke down, very unique, like I said, it was a three-year standard contract with the fourth year being a player option and the fifth year being a club option. And you don't usually see that sort of structure. It's usually like X amount of years plus a player option or X amount of years plus a club op- club option. And instead, he had the option to engage his player option now for the 2022 season, uh, sorry, the 2023 season. And at the uh, this corresponding time next year, the club could then enact a club option if he cho- took up that player option to take him through to the end of the 2024 season. Uh, so... Yeah, very odd contract structure. But because of that, he's had the ability to opt out now. And his manager informed the Eels uh, Friday night week backwards, so not last Friday, the Friday week before uh, Friday before that, that he would not be taking up his player option in, um, in favour of going to the market. And he was very transparent, his manager. And let me just find the quote here. Uh, his manager being, do I have a name just here? Mark Stewart. Um, so he said, we've informed Parramatta that Reagan isn't taking up his option for 2023. Um, I want to stress there is no issue with Parramatta. He is grateful what the Eels have done to resurrect his career after leaving Penrith and we will be giving Parramatta every chance to keep him because he has really enjoyed his time at the club. 
We will go to the open market and clubs will want to speak to us come November 1, which is now, what, a week and a half away? Uh, which brings us, which brings a second Brisbane team into the equation. Uh, he certainly, uh, he would certainly entertain being the face of a new Brisbane franchise. Um, and then, I don't think there's too much else there. And then, yeah, he just um, some general quotes about how a second Brisbane team would be attractive and uh, they're expecting a, their first, um, Reg and his partner are expecting their first child in January. And they're taking up some uh, considerations for their family. They've enjoyed their time in Queensland during the COVID uh, uh, season up there. So, and then uh, talking about Wayne Bennett, who wasn't the officially the coach. I don't think yet is he. Uh, I think there's a press there, conference, there's a press conference today. due today on the on Thursday the twenty first at eleven thirty. So there, but it is taken as a, a, a granted that Wayne Bennett will be the coach. Um, yeah. So. There's a lot of the way that reads is it's. I know that he said that they give the Eels every chance to match an offer, but it does sort of read like a, a fair thanks and farewell uh, in advance. I, I I can't begrudge a player chasing a big payday, mate. I, I know it sucks to, to would absolutely suck to lose someone of the caliber of Reg, but you've got such a small window to maximize your earnings in the most brutal sport in the world, just about. Um, yeah, it hurts, but if he does leave, he, he gave it. You know he gave us his everything too during his time here. He's been an absolute bastion in the forward pack alongside Junior Paulo. Um, I don't know. It, it came out of the blue, this one. It was a bit of a, a smack to the face. It's like, what? Excuse me? Uh, yeah, I, I think it caught us all by surprise because we're looking at the totality of his contract going through to the end of 2024 mm-hmm. and we're not really looking at those option parts. Now, I think those option parts are the significant... I mean, obviously, they've been significant in terms of him being able to say, I'm a free agent. Now, uh, well, come November 1, I'll be able to field offers. So it it is significant from that perspective. But I also think it's significant because I believe that it's going to be at that point that perhaps that contract amount changes mm-hmm. with with regard to well it's been well documented that penrith are chipping in a significant proportion of his salary uh, in in that um negotiated contract with the eels when he shifted to uh, Parramatta. so i believe that there is a bit of an impact there when it comes to that option so by effectively declining the option and therefore um making the club option null and void the year after, it puts RCG in a position to be able to renegotiate any possible future contract with the Eels. So if he says, well, look, the Eels can still uh, put forward an offer to us that we'll consider, well, that is true. It's they're in a They're in a place where they can start to determine what his market price is and whether it is his best option to stay at the Eels. Whether the Eels have a rethink about that um, based on uh, next season uh, or whether they go for it uh, now and and start negotiating with him now, I I guess we're going to see in the next month or two. But the other aspect of it, of course, is that much like the Eels have in... Uh, in every season been the an agent's go-to to say, oh, the Eels are interested in my player. Yeah. Uh, 
it's now, now it's now that dolphins scenario with the dolphins, it, yeah. where the dolphins' name can be used to say that um, look, you're going to have to increase your offer because we're very interested in going to the dolphins, and the dolphins are probably going to be interested in us as well. So, I think that's being part of the negotiations is to drop the dolphins' name. I've no doubt that being up in Queensland has looked attractive to a number of players across the NRL after the recent bubble experience. After all, they've gone into their into these into the bubble up in Queensland, having come away from what in Sydney was a lockdown scenario. So you've immediately got that reaction, oh, isn't it good up here? Aren't we glad we're up here? Um, there's almost been away from the football there's been a holiday vibe which a number of players have been able to continue with as they've enjoyed their the start of their off season they're enjoying the time up on the gold coast or other parts of queensland i have little doubt that there's been an unrealistic image of life up there because they're up there with um uh, not just their family, but they're up there with people who are ostensibly their closest mates yeah. within the football community, and everyone's up there together. And it's, it's, I, I suppose, like it's a this beautiful home away from home scenario where some of the cares of the world have been left behind. And I, I reckon you're going to have players who, uh, and or their partners, who are thinking gee, this would be the life living up here. Wouldn't this be great? But, you know, the other side of it is they've still got their normal life to lead when they do go up there. So it's, it's possibly going to be a little bit different. It might be just as good. I don't know. But I think we're always going to get that across a few clubs now with the Dolphins being in there and also that exposure to the lifestyle up there as well, that you're going to get a few players saying, you know what, I am open to an offer from the Dolphins. And, and back to Reg, we always knew there was going to be some complicated decisions for Parramatta to make in terms of retention uh, with the core squad they've got now. Um, obviously, everyone sort of wants an upgrade when it comes around. Uh, you know, They come off contract because they've been playing at such a high level. This might end up simplifying things for Parramatta. Oh, look, it, it could well do because we had to make the call earlier in the season t- about whether or not to extend Nathan Brown, and he got a pretty decent contract from the Eels. Now, that being said, uh, with him being a middle, that placed a little bit of extra pressure on uh, the negotiations with other middle players like Junior, like RCG, uh, like Murata, even though Murata's, you know, Verstock can play a number of positions. He could be ostensibly considered a, a, a middle player. Um, Ryan Madison, like all, especially now with a focus maybe falling on Murata's contract more, more immediately, and then to an extent the contract of Ryan Madison and what they decide to do with him. Um, if RCG is signed to go elsewhere for 2023, it might cause, uh, and, and maybe the Eels might be quite keen to wrap that decision up from mm-hmm. RCG as soon as possible because it can impact what offer is made to Murata. Uh, same for uh, for Maddo because Maddo's showed that he, he can play that middle forward role as well. So 
um, yeah, interesting times ahead around the RCG decision. And given that RCG will be, I think it'd be 30 going into 2023. Yeah, I think he's 28 going on 29 next year. So uh, that sound, that, that's, that's the rough ballpark of his age, yeah. so Yeah, so, uh, and, and it's not to say that a player's finished at 30 years of age, but what you, what you are talking about is a bloke that's got most of his career behind him rather than ahead of him once you start to hit that 30 mark. So, um, yeah, interesting decisions, especially when you've got, you know, a couple of young bulls coming up through the ranks. Um, yeah, well, middle is uh, probably a position of strength for us in terms of the juniors too. So, certainly, yeah, uh, certainly, yeah it doesn't leave us lacking, although Reg is obviously a, an incredible player. So, And there's still water to go on that bridge too. Maybe he does end up staying at the club, but the way that statement read from his manager, it sure was, once again, like, thank you and goodbye. Yeah, it's like the reaction, or the, the way that I'm feeling is, I don't want him to go. I, I'd much no. prefer him to yeah. stay. But if if it comes to the point where they can't agree to terms um, or that or the, it's just far too attractive for Reg and his partner to move up to Queensland, you accept it and move on. And, you know, it's not the end of the world in terms of, the roster, and that—that's pretty much how I feel about. It. I think he—he he brings plenty to the roster. He's someone I want to keep in the roster. It's not the end of the world if he makes the decision to move on. Exactly. Uh, so, moving on in that regard, now we're going to talk about recruitment in general for the club moving forward. Sixties. Uh, we mentioned that they filled one of their high priority uh, vacancies in the roster by getting Mitch Rain on board for season twenty twenty two. Looking at the team now, obviously. Reg is now a question mark, but we do have other middles in play as well. What are you looking for the Eels to do uh, as we head into season 2022? What do they need? What's the priority? Uh, who who can you see filling gaps that we need to fill? Well, with Will Smith deciding to move on, and I'd marked him down as almost a, a, a given extension. So, um, And now with Rain signing... By my calculations, we've got two positions for the top 30 left for next year, maybe three, depending on whether decisions are made for some players about being on a development deal or on a top 30 deal. But uh, I'd say two positions, maximum three spots left for next season. And I think without question that the hole in the roster now sits at the outside backs. Mm -hmm. And when I say it sits at the outside backs, I mean in terms of that ready readiness to start round one in the team. So if, for example, uh, as, as things stand, Mike Acebo is not available. You've got the back line, would be Hayes, likely Hayes Dunster, uh, Will Penasini, Wonga Blake, and then it comes down to what happens with the other wing position and whether it goes to a rookie um, such as Sean Russell or a Samuel uh, Luizio. Um, you'd probably, you, you might suggest that given that little bit of extra experience and and game time throughout the season that Sean might have the jump on Samuel in that regard, but there's a preseason to to go there. Um, 
the only other alternative is positional switch for Wonga Blake moving from centre to wing, which then uh, means that Tom Opachik can fill the centre spot. There is also and, a, a centre out at Penrith that wants out too. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that will be in play for Parramatta, but uh, he, he brings a sort of premiership class to clubs that he goes to as well, unless it's the West Tigers. Um, well, yeah, I get. I'm going to get to that in a minute because um, the reason that I mention what the options are at the moment is it'd be hard to see the Eels looking at the first half of the season where they go in with the experience that is uh, Hayes Dunster with 14 NRL games, um, Will Penasini with, what, five, five yep. NRL games, and um, and another rookie winger with uh, either one or two <laughs> NRL games under their belt. You just can't see that, that Parramatta would go in with three rookie players into the as part of their back line next season. So uh and then what happens if you get an injury? Oh yeah, you, you need you need NRL experienced options. Uh, yeah. You can't keep throwing rookies at the problem and hoping that one of them no. you know just sticks. You need guys with experience. So you've just mentioned that there's the um the talk around Momorovsky mm-hmm. being off offloaded by the Panthers due to salary cap pressure. We've had the rumour floating around for some time about Nick Kotrick mm-hmm. uh, being moved on by the Bulldogs due to salary cap pressure. And it's and there is no denying that those two clubs um, are under salary cap pressure and they will have to make decisions. Um, whether, uh, and then now we've had, uh, I think Canterbury's come out again and denied that Nick Kotrick's going to be moved on. I take that with a grain of salt. I mean, it, it might be that they make a decision to move someone else on, but there, there are going to have to be players that are moved from the Bulldogs. Now, that might mean that there's players such as those two that we've just mentioned that present themselves. It may be that it sparks the old uh, deck chairs um, of or, or the or the falling uh, cards, the 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 pack of cards suddenly starts to get shuffled, and all of a sudden there's cards that pop out that we didn't expect. It's that was pretty much how we came up with Michael Jennings um, yep, when he came to the club, where the the, all of a sudden there was that shuffle around different recruitment, and bingo, there's Michael Jennings suddenly available where he wasn't expected to be available. I think what that's what the Eels are looking at that there is going to be experience that becomes available in the marketplace. And now whether it's one of those two, whether it's uh, someone else, uh, I believe that we will recruit one to two more players for next season. And my my bet would be that it has to be at least one outside back. Yep. Yeah, correct. Um, there's got to be at least one more outside back in play for Parramatta, you'd think. Like you said, as it stands right now, you're going into the season with a very inexperienced backline outside of Wonga Blake and obviously Quint Gufferson at fullback. But you know that injuries and suspension is going to be a factor and you're literally going to be throwing rookies at the problem. And that just seems like... And it's not a bad thing to have rookies in the mix for a spot, but you can't just keep throwing rookies at, at spots and hoping that they'll find their feet. And you know, hit the ground running. You need to have one or two experienced options. 
So, yeah, yeah, I expect us to make some moves there. And like you said, there's a lot of uh, wheels in motion just across the NRL, clubs feeling the pinch. And we're in a an era of player empowerment too, uh, where disgruntled, dissatisfied players uh, increasingly just demanding they want out now and they want to move to a new club, which more often than not they want to move to a, a rather competitive club as opposed to uh, the opposite, which there are a lot of them in the NRL right now. So, yeah, and Paramount is uh, a destination in that regard. Uh, we're being consistently competitive right in the premiership mix now, and, yeah, a lot of lot of things to play out, mate. It's a, As frustrating as it is sitting here having to wait, it, it is very intriguing. Uh, the NRL is a very different beast these days in terms of uh, player movement. Yeah, and I think, I think, play, I think clubs... Uh, it, it's interesting the different philosophies. You've got some clubs who just jump in there and sign players that should go bang and we'll worry about sorting out our cap issues later. Yep. And it seems like that that's pretty much what's happened at the Dogs where they've got some things that they need to yeah, sort out straight away. There's no doubt they've made um, some very valuable recruitment decisions, but it's really come about where, like, I... When these things happen, I, I, I sometimes wonder why they're allowed to sign it when they obviously are going to need to take action to fix the situation before a ball's kicked off the, the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd, you'd think that a contract wouldn't be rubber stamped for a player to be at a club when it's obvious that they're going to have to take remedial action it is on their a, a own. a big grey area uh, in the game, isn't it? And yeah. it's, I mean, while it exists, you might as well take advantage of it as a struggling club. And it allowed them to beat out uh, some other marginal contenders for those signings. Like for Pango Jr., it means that they've got themselves a, a potential marquee forward beating the likes of the West Tigers and company to his signature. And so yeah. while, while it exists, you take advantage of it and then you deal with the consequences down the road. Just kick that can down the road and then you sort of have your pick of who you want to cut then after that or, or try and move on. So... And then you've got other clubs and and the par- and Parramatta's in this boat that that keep um, salary cap space up their sleeve and play a waiting game. They keep a couple of couple of spots, couple of um, and, and some dollars up their sleeve and and wait to see what eventuates as clubs try to sort out their issues uh, within a very short time frame in the off season slash preseason. So yeah, it's uh, we're it's probably going to play out across the, the next two to three months, what happens. And as you said, it can be frustrating as a fan sitting back and thinking, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening? All you need to know is something is happening. It's like, it's like, <laughs> a, it's like a duck, right? On the surface, yeah. everything looks calm and it's just cruising around underneath. The feet are kicking like mad. So there's a, yeah. a lot of stuff happening under the surface across the, the entirety of the NRL, not just Parramatta. Um, there is a, a lot in motion right now. And you already made reference to it, but it's a bit like the end of 2015. Uh, we had the Michael Jennings, uh, the great centre swap of Michael uh, of uh, 2015. I think Peter Hicku, Michael Jennings, and there was a couple of other players. Dale Copley maybe was in there as well. There was a, a four or five centres or outside backs that were part of his Christmas week uh, shuffle, I believe. So, yeah. Um, but speaking of Michael, um, his saga, his uh, Asada, his Sia. Uh, however you want to phrase it these days, uh, the drug, scam, drug scandal, drug saga has come to a close finally. 
Uh, the former Parramatta Eel and rap star has accepted a three-year doping ban, um, although he still maintains his innocence. I think his statement goes something like this. Let me just find it. Uh, here he writes, While I've accepted a deal, there is context behind the decision. I maintain that I never and would have never intentionally used performance-enhancing substances. I built a career that I am proud of, and I am devastated that after 15 years in the game, it would end like this. Um, on the 6th of September 2021, I received the heartbreaking news from Sports Integrity Australia, SIA, uh, for, as an acronym, that it recommended a four-year sanction to the NRL. At all times, I have been open and assisted Sports Integrity Australia with their investigation. I identified a number of possibilities as to how I could have been accidentally exposed to the prohibited substance. I am unsure what, if anything, they did with that information. I also provided SIA with a toxicology report and uh, results of hair testing, all of which were negative for the performance-enhancing substance in question. To this day, I do not know and could not know how it got into my system. So the the crux of Michael's... Oh, sorry, it does continue on here. Uh, ultimately, I was faced with an impossible decision where to continue to fight this case, even though I had no idea how the prohibited substance entered my system, or accept a one-year reduction to the four-year ban in exchange for waiving my right to have the matter determined by the NRL Tribunal. Given it's taken almost a year to receive... To even receive the letter of charge, I faced a very real possibility that the time it took to fight the matter could exceed the three-year ban on offer. It was the hardest decision of my life, but I have now made a decision that is in the best interest of my family and, most importantly, my two amazing kids. Um, as many of you would know, this has not been uh, not only been my battle, uh, not been my only battle, sorry, fighting to prove my innocence has taken a massive toll on me personally and my family. Uh, one day I would love to return to the great game, but for now it's on pause. So the crux have been... Michael, whether you believe he is innocent or guilty, has um, maintained that he is innocent, but the fact that he would potentially take longer to fight the ban than just accept the ban. So uh, up to you to interpret how you want to say, uh, uh, read that. Um, he believes that he is innocent, and he claims he provided toxicology reports. Um, but yes, so Michael Jennings, banned for three years, 60s, closes a chapter on a, on a really unfortunate saga because obviously with Parramatta, Goes back to our uh, season 2020 sudden death final against South Sydney. Uh, his door was kicked in on the morning of our sudden death final. Caused that chaotic reshuffling in the back line. Uh, fast forward now to the end of 2021 and Michael accepts a three-year ban. And uh, while he could technically make a return at the end of it, uh, it seems unlikely. Yeah, look, um, it was a really unfortunate way for his time with the Eels to come to a close. I had a lot of time for Michael Jennings. I mm -hmm. thought apart from the 2018 season where everyone really had a horror year and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't someone that avoided having a horror awesome year in 2018, <laughs> but that season aside, he gave good service to the Eels. He was really a, a key component of our resurgence after 2018 with the, the 2019 and 2020 seasons. Um, he would have potentially made that difference against the South Sydney side in that uh, final in 2020. It left us in a position where we didn't have that strike centre coming into this year. Um, and, yeah, uh, look, all I'll say is I wish him well. Um, I've got, as I said, a lot of positive thoughts about Michael Jennings in terms of his time at the Eels. From my own personal experience, I had the opportunity to speak to him a few times down there at training. I always found him to be very down to earth, mm -hmm. very laid back. Like he, he just talked to you as if he was, you know, someone you were chatting to at the pub. 
He, he, and he, he really, he really had that sort of calm, composed demeanor. Would be, yeah, he didn't talk bullshit. He was, uh, and that's why if if he's coming out and he's saying, "Look, I just can't see that it would have happened," he never struck me as someone who had a, a that bullshit element to him at all. Um, and just on on that, um, there is the funny story of when he did come to the Eels because you talked about him coming to the Eels. And uh, from memory, you were down there this, this particular day at training when we'd had word that Jennings had agreed to terms with the Eels. And it had come through a source that um, was a member of the Jennings family and had passed it on to one of the TCT boys. And um, when we were down there, I'd said to Danny Wicks, who was doing a bit of rehab and he was on a an exercise bike on the running track at uh, Old Sale Yards. And I said to him, he got a, we've got a new recruit's going to be joining the Eels very shortly, Michael Jennings. And he, he said, someone's bullshitting you, mate. <laughs> and, and, and he turned to one of the other squad members, I can't remember who it was, who was on a bike beside him and said, this bloke reckons that uh, Michael Jennings is, is joining the club. And they were laughing, and and I said, oh, I can only tell you what we know, mate. And he goes, Well, look, they're bullshitting to you. That's all I'll tell you, mate, because it's not, you know, I don't think it's happening. And uh, he said, and he said, I'll even have a bet with you. I'll bet, I'll bet you fifty dollars that Jennings isn't joining the club. And I said, I don't want to take your money, mate, because it's happening. And he goes, No, no, no. Oh, come on, if you if you really reckon he's joining the club, I'll bet you fifty dollars. And then, of course, we had. Um, uh, I, Mitch was down there on that day and I said, well, uh, maybe you might want to have a bet with him. And, and Mitch came over and accepted the bet for the $50. And um, yeah, so, and as it turned out, of course, that's a, it's an indication of how sometimes the players within a club are the last to learn yeah. that there's going to be a particular recruit joining them. Even a major the recruit like Janko. Because yeah. Yeah, because within because within that week or whatever, he was he was down there part of training. And for Jenko, rather unfortunately, left him stranded, and maybe that'll be the impetus for him to come back and play one more season somewhere, um, if he can stay healthy or fit. Um, he ends up on two hundred ninety eight first grade games across the Penrith Panthers, Sydney Roosters, and Parramatta Eels, and equally, if not more painfully. Just four tries outside the top 10 all-time try scorers. He finishes equal 11th with Nathan Merritt on 154. Josh Morris is four tries ahead of him on 158. Then you've got Hazem and Matt Singh tied for 8th in 159. So everyone was talking about Brett Morris's exploits getting up to top four at the end. If Janko had you know not had that happen to him, there was a very real chance he finishes top five historically. So a real unfortunate end to his career there. And who knows? Maybe he does have one final chapter to write three years down the track. Yeah, well, we we hope so. And whatever decision that he makes, we hope it's the right one for his future and for his legacy as a player. Mm-hmm. Well said, mate. All right, let's cap off our general parameter discussions in this episode. Of the tip sheet with a quick look at the announcement about the. It's not the elite pathways, but there is a bit of a revamp coming towards the juniors and uh, club football scene. Uh, Parramatta Eels and the Canary Bulldogs uh, joining forces to create the Western City District uh, from under-13s up to, uh, I think, A-grade football, which is uh, 20s and then A-grade plus, yep. 
Uh, they're going to be merging the Parramatta at Canterbury and Western Suburbs districts together, um, which was something that was created based on feedback from the COVID-affected seasons in recent times. Um, and they're going to move forward to that for, I think it's 12 months, right? Yeah, it's, it is. A, um, and it's something that I think all clubs would want to have as an interim measure because mm-hmm. you want to be able to build up again to where you have total control of administering your local junior rugby league. But there's always been that pressure on um, junior clubs fielding a team as the as the as the ages advance. So basically, yeah. from 13s and upwards, you start to see a a player drain um, for various reasons. Where um, young people have uh, maybe they've got some, uh, far more options in their life where they want to they don't want to dedicate themselves to the game of rugby league. Whether it becomes a little bit more serious as they as you develop through those um, teenage years up to the A-grade competition. But it's it's definitely um, something where all the, all the districts suddenly don't have as many teams competing within their competitions as you move from 13s upwards. So it's something I, think, been a- I, think it's a good, I think it's a good interim measure because there's been so many players that have missed playing rugby league and given that there would be an element of the unknown whether how many players are going to come back and register for next season yeah i think it's it's good to know that if certain clubs aren't able to field teams that the teams that can field clubs no sorry the clubs that can field teams know that they are going into viable competitions in terms of how many how many yeah, exactly. teams will be participating and in that, those that's what ages. I was going to jump in and say is that it's been a consistent theme for our investigation or our sort of dive into the Parramatta uh, District Junior Rugby League with our Paris Story series which has been a real you know real fun just t- talking to the salt and uh, salt of the earth members of that uh, junior system that although they had awesome growth prior to COVID now in the sort of COVID post-COVID uh, sort of washout the recruit the recruitment or the squad numbers just are down slightly and they're struggling to get all the extra squads they would have had otherwise, which is why, like you said, you want to have perhaps a, an amalgamated competition is a, a good answer to that in the short term to ensure that, you know, all these kids and all these teams are getting the sort of competition they need. So, yeah. Not- yeah, we can't, we, I mean, it, it really is an issue of potentially losing players because of the fact that they, there's so many have missed football. Yeah missed out on their normal football for up to two seasons. And it is worth mentioning again that this not, uh, this does not impact the elite pathways. The junior reps or the junior representatives are the same as they always were. Harold Matthews, SG Bohr, Jersey Flag, right through to the uh, New South Wales Cup, the knock-on effect New South Wales Cup. And, you know, the Parramatta squad's there, uh, as they always will be. This is just uh, the supporting grades below that, The you know, the like we said, the side of the earth, the meat and potato stuff. Uh, for rugby league, which is every bit as important as elite pathways, and that's why we're you know we're seeing this amalgamated solution to help the the clubs and help those teams have the best possible competition they can have as they get back up on their feet post COVID. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, who I mean, who knows where this leads? That uh, hopefully it, it means that we get the we don't have that loss 
in in pure numbers of players and that it means that when you've got an interim measure like this, that it is the path back to having greater numbers within each of the districts and then each of those each of those senior clubs are able to go back to administering their own competitions and not an amalgamated one. And speaking of Parramatta Stories, mate, it's time to segue into our latest instalment there and I'll let you do the rest. We've thoroughly enjoyed learning about the clubs that make up the Parramatta District Junior Rugby League and this week we're checking out a club which regards its community as family. That club is the Kenley Vale Cookers and we're pleased to speak with their secretary, Natalie Fainga Ee. Natalie, welcome to the tip sheet. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to have the, the lifeblood of Rugby League on our show, Natalie. Uh, I'll start you off with a, a nice, easy question. Um, it's mm-hmm. a, not quite here in 2021-2022, but just over past that in 2023, there's a, a diamond-tier uh, little landmark coming up for the Cookers. They're fast approaching their 60th anniversary, having been formed in 1963. There yep. must be a real sense of pride in the club, having built such a history and taken it to this point. Uh, most definitely. Um, every time uh, I've come across people just through work who were involved in the Parramatta Rugby League catchment area, um, and I tell them, oh, I'm with Cannibal Cookers, they tell me stories of you know, their times against Cannibal Cookers, playing with Cannibal Cookers. So it's pretty good to be a part of a club with, um, you know, with a 60, nearly a 60-year history. Yeah, that, and now just taking it to the present, um, mm-hmm. the Kelly Vale Cookers. What age group teams are you currently fielding? So we we field um, from under sixes to under eighteens. Twenty twenty one saw us uh, to be able to field seven teams. Um, so we had under sixes, under sevens, under nines, under elevens, under twelves. We had an under fourteen girls side and under sixteen side. Well, let's uh, just touch on the under-14s and 16s teams you mentioned at the end there because Rugby League is seeing explosive growth in the participation rates of young ladies in the game. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about the importance that the Cookers place on the girls' Rugby League squads? Um, as far as the girls, uh, it was actually the start of um, last year, 2020. I got an influx of calls asking if our club was going to be fielding a girls' team. Um, there were so many girls within the Parramatta area uh, but on this side of the Great Western Highway that we're looking for for a team. Uh, ultimately, we ended up um, getting enough numbers to field an under-14 girls team and, and an under-16 girls team. But unfortunately, COVID took that away from our, our kids last year. Um, with that being said, this year we're only able to field an under-14 girls team. Um, I can't stress how much, uh, how important it is to have a pathway for the girls because they are there, they are playing. Um, you'll find in the younger age groups, more than 50% of teams' um, capacity are girls. Yeah, because so, it's, worth, it's worth mentioning to listeners that up to a certain age uh, age group, the, the teams are unfiltered, right? It's boys and girls yeah. together. Yeah. So girls, and, girls can play with the boys um, right up until under 12, from age 13 and up they have to go and play an all-girls competition. Um, when I first started going back um, eight years ago, there were no teams for girls. Um, when a girl reached under 12, 
generally what would happen is those girls would end up going to play netball or mm-hmm. going to play any other sport because there were just no pathways for them to be able to play. It went from 13s right up to under-16s. Uh, if you're involved in league, you'll know that that three-year age gap means a lot. Yeah, That's a big difference from going to play against just boys to going against other females who are 16. And at 13, that, that's, that was too big a gap. So the fact that they've got an under-14s, under-16s and under-18s girls pathway, it's awesome, but there's still more that needs to be done. Um, there needs to be more opportunities for girls because they are there. And honestly, I've seen a, a big group of talent in the girls and, and they're amazing. I mean, some of them hit harder than the boys. Um, they just work a lot harder because they are a girl and mm-hmm. I, I'm just willing I'm willing to support anything female related especially when it comes to the game of league I think that's the general messaging we've seen across the board and I know that you mentioned that the cookers have only got the under 14s girls this year which is a, a function of the the downturn from covid uh, above mm-hmm. anything else and I'm sure that they'll have you know quick growth back to having the 16s and beyond there. But yeah, it's just so cool to see across the board the Parramatta district and beyond really embracing the growth in the girls' game. For sure. And it's uh, and you mentioned there before about how how hard they hit and, and and how hard they work at their game. There's times when I'm watching the the girls' game and and I think to myself, it's almost a purer game of rugby yep. league. You it know, is. it hasn't got none of the there's nonsense not so much about the um the holding the, down or yeah. the or the you know, the that aspect of the play. It's just clean tackles, get up, yeah. play the ball, get the ball out. It's uh, it's a good game of football to watch. Yeah, it, it ends up um the girls because they love the game so much, they'll lap up every single minute they get. Like currently now um it's it started off as a nine-a-side comp. Now it's 11, I think it's 11 or 13 aside. The game is growing, and it's growing better for the girls, but there's still a lot of work. I mean, in all my younger age groups, from the under-6s through to under-12s, every single team has more than four, four or five girls. And that's just oh. that candy bar cookers. And you know what? With the um, With the way that things are going, with the... NRLW, and now we've got yep. Parramatta that's got an NRLW team yep. next year. It's having those pathways there for the girls is, is yeah. ultra important. Ultra important, definitely. Um, uh, especially the young girls that are that were part of our under fourteens this year. I, I've asked. Uh, I mean, I, I generally ask all the kids, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And to hear these 10, 11 girls say, "I want to be a rugby league player." For me, that's like I see them as the future of the sport. Because mm-hmm. yep. even though these pathways are opening up and there were other females long before these girls come along who got the process started, this is what it's doing. It's giving the girls an opportunity to believe in a dream that, you know, years girls years ago wouldn't even believe of yeah, exactly. even thinking, it, it, you know. It wasn't even a dream. You, you couldn't yeah, think Yeah, exactly. It. It was, oh, you can play rugby league right up until you're 12, but as soon as you're 13, you either go back to netball or find another sport. Because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what it was. And a lot of girls ended up jumping codes because they wanted to play any form of football. So a lot of them were jumping over to rugby union. Mm-hmm. 
Because yeah. over in rugby union, you can play up until under-14s. That's when you've got to go play in the girls' comp. Rugby union as um, a sport, when it comes to females, is a little bit um, ahead of rugby league as a sport when it comes to females. Yeah, obviously the rugby seven circuit's done a lot for the ladies over there. Yeah. And, and rugby league is catching up now. And like Craig has mentioned, the NRLW is a big function of that. But it's the, the battle is far from finished and we've got to keep building these pathways and keep yep. creating these opportunities for the young girls. Exactly. Natalie, a few years back, uh, we were watching the finals, the day of the finals at Parramatta Stadium, mm-hmm. and the Cookers under-14s team, um, well, I'd actually seen them the week before beat Cabramatta in yep. a preliminary final, and that, that was a big scalp to have in the first place, yep. and then come out on grand final day, and they pushed Rouse Hill uh, yep. right to the limit in the, in the grand final at Parramatta Stadium. Now, I wanted to mention that team because their opponents, uh, Rouse Hill and, and Cabramatta, contain mm-hmm. players who are now they're now pushing through in the NRL pathways, not just at Parramatta, but at a couple of yep. other clubs as well. And I gained the impression that the Cookers are a club that punches above its weight. Is that a fair observation about your club? One hundred percent. Our club is always, you know, we've we've always had the talent there. Um, what we have lacked is financial support, but it hasn't stopped us from ensuring that these kids get to play rugby league. At the end of the day, that's all they want to play. We've got, um, you know, amazing coaching staff. The team that you mentioned back there, that coach of that team, he's actually still coaching at Canleyville. He's now coaching his grandson. His son was a part of that team who is also pushing through the NRL. He, um, he actually debuted for Parramatta in the trials this year. Um, you might you might have heard of him, Caleb Tohi. His parents oh, yeah. have. He's, yes. a, he's a, a blog favourite. Caleb is a, a great young man and a terrific yes. player. Yeah. Um, what I love about so we call him Lepi, which is his Tonga name is Kalepi Tohi. <laughs> um, what I love about him is he's always been about giving back to grassroots. So although he's he's right at he's knocking on the door of the NRL, he's always had the time to come back. So he. He's also a trainer for our under-9s. His father coaches the under-9s, and his mother was uh, a club secretary and one of the people I look up to in the club who, you know, showed me how to handle the life of a a secretary because at the end of the day, it's a voluntary job. So Mm -hmm. um, being that we are the small club, it it takes a lot. It's pretty much the saying, you know, it takes a small village to raise, raise a child. That's exactly what we're doing here, but we're we're helping to develop heaps of kids. So, uh, yeah, that that is a fair observation that we punch above our weight, but it's because of the love that we have for the game and to see these kids do something other than, you know, not so good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we we give the kids in our community a place to go to when, you know, things could be hard at home or they're hard at school or. Um, in this area, there's lots of different factors, lots of different um, family styles, but Canleyvale Cookers has always been somewhere where kids can go and be a kid. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. It's just, no, you know, that, some- that, is a, that is a very succinct and, and fantastic way of putting it because a lot of people don't realise, you know, it's the, the other side of rugby league that, you know, the yep. way a lot of these kids come from because it's not easy. Yep. You know, they, uh, you, uh, yep. 
you, you see them succeeding as NRL stars and everyone talks about the big money and whatnot, but, you know, these kids, not only do they bust their backsides and work, you know, work their tails yeah. off to get there just on, on talent and hard work, but, yeah. the, you know, like you said, the, there's a lot of other factors at play and, and it's great to see the clubs providing support for them in that regard. Yeah, well, that's how I've seen it. You know, I've had my fair share of um, kids that, you know, come from broken homes and they don't want to be at home. So, they'll, you know, they, they've wandered off down to Adams Park and seen a whole heap of teams training there and, you know, they've just asked the question, oh, how do I play? You know, and uh, the board that, that's there and, and the passports, we've, we've always taken anybody and everybody in. doesn't matter about your ability to play. doesn't matter if you're a superstar, if you're not so good. All we want to do here is create a safe place for kids in our community. And Natalie, I don't think I could have asked you to team me up any better for my follow-up question here because Craig and I peeked the uh, the club's Facebook account and we noticed that yep. all the messages there are addressed to the Cookers family. And yep. we know that all junior sports clubs like to engage with their community, but that is particularly strong positive messaging to your community when you call them your family. So you, you sort of touched on it just then, but what makes mm-hmm. up and who makes up the Cookers community? Honestly, it's from the board, the officials, uh, the volunteers we have that come in and help in our canteen, the players, the parents, it is absolutely everybody. And because we are such a small club, uh, everybody knows everybody. I mean, we've got two or three generations of families at our club, you know, and, and our, the, the reason why our club gets out is by word of mouth. Families, oh, you should go to Kelly Vale Cookers. They're, you know, they're an awesome club. It doesn't matter if you haven't played. But it comes down to, um, for me, myself, um, uh, family is such a strong point for me. Family means a lot to me, and I know it's the same with my board members and and the past board members. They've always wanted to make the vibe at, Can- at Canlyvale Cookers to be that of a family, you know, where you can come and you're not judged. No one's going to judge you for not having the flashes boots or... You know, oh, you don't even have proper training shorts. It's not about what you wear and and if you can't afford boots. We are an actual tight-knit family community. Like, we've got parents from the older age groups who donate their son's boots to the club so that they can go to younger kids within the club because everybody knows that, you know, we don't have the richest people in our club. Everybody's just trying to make ends meet week by week so you know any any time any family can help they're willing to do it you know and it's not even that we're asking for families to do it it's oh we want to do this for you guys because you know my kids love coming down here or here we just had all this extra food didn't know what to do with it we wanted to bring it down to you guys because my kids love it here you know it becomes about um just that that word family what it is for me um, I know my board members will probably agree we just we just look after each other you know once a cooker always a cooker that's one of the oldest things I, I know of for Canlyvale cookers uh, that's, that's well you've that's certainly you've yeah. certainly given me a nice little title for for <laughs> yeah. our uh, our feature yeah. once a cooker always a cooker I think that's oh, you brilliant know what? <laughs> that would be amazing the the person I actually heard that from um, was one of our past presidents. He's now since passed on. His wife is still a very big part of our club. She's our club auditor, but she 
She prefers to stay strictly behind the scenes. Um, the fact that you would use that as a title, I know, is going to blow her away. Um, she would absolutely love that because um, I, he was one of the first ones I heard it from, and I've been part of this club for 10 years. So to have that as a title, it's pretty, pretty cool. Oh, yeah, no, no dramas. It's it's sometimes you know when we when we're talking to all the clubs, there's there's something unique about every club that stands out, and and that's that's already grabbed me now. Something else that um, is common about the clubs, and you've touched on it, is that reliance on volunteers. But I've noticed mm. that there's a history of people in the with the with the cookers that go above and beyond for the club. And it even extends to people who haven't had family playing for the club. Yep. That, that's a that's a really special thing to have. I, I think so. I, I actually am proudful that I'm a part of this club just for that fact. Um, like the president I just touched on, he was a he was a member of the board and and the longest serving president that our club has ever had. His name is Albert Stromeyer. He was at the club for eighteen years. His kids never played for the club. He never had grandkids. And he continued his role on the board year after year because he just wanted to give the community something. You know, he, for me, my, personally, he was the first person to instill that into me. Um, another lady that that pretty much who I, I looked up to on how to run a club is another lady named Valerie Willow. She ended up moving back to New Zealand to run um, the Northland Rugby League. I don't actually know if she continues that now, but she was another one. Her, both her kids, extraordinary talents, um, and both of them played elsewhere while she was the secretary of our club. Um, another one, Kalepi Tohi's mum, Marie Tohi, she has been on the board in numerous roles over the last 11 years. Her husband also coached their son, and help them get to where he's at now, which is pretty much knocking on the door there in RL. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just got so many people. Our current president right now, Brad, Bradley Patrick, he hasn't had a kid at our club for about four years. And every year he tells us, oh, you know, I might step down this year, but then he comes back around because he, he just he can't leave it. He, his dad was his role model for him. His dad took on the soccer club for 20 years without having any kids there. So it's sort of a thing where, you know, for me, I've watched other people do it. Um, and it, it truly is about keeping the club alive. You know, we wouldn't be around for, what is it, 58 years if, you know, there wasn't something special about our club. Absolutely. Yeah, want to keep them going for at least another 58 yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> get, them, get them well past the triple figures there. <laughs> that, that, that'd be awesome. Uh, something else I noticed, Natalie, when I was peeping the Cookers Facebook posts was the fact that you would acknowledge other clubs in the district. And junior football is about the community, but sometimes it can be a little bit competitive too. But it's, yeah. it's obvious that the Cookers truly value being part of the greater Parramatta junior rugby league community. Because, uh, yeah, you know, like without... Honestly, without Parramatta, we don't have a competition. Without the other clubs, we don't have a competition. And it's pretty much, you know, we got to stick together because it's our district. And if we're losing kids from my club to go to another district, we're all losing kids to another district. You know, if 
Um, for example, the CBD cobras, if they lose kids to another district, it's not just them, it's our whole district. We're, we're losing players. So for me, it's always been about trying to stick together. Uh, there is a bit of stigma with big clubs, little clubs, but honestly, uh, I find that um, if you approach the bigger clubs, they're more than willing to help. It's about asking the question and being able to put yourself out there. Yep. Um, you know, to get back for the club. And I honestly haven't had to reach out to big clubs. And I just acknowledge the smaller clubs because we are one of them. And um, I've got I've got great friends throughout all the clubs, all the clubs in the district. Um, my two youngest sons don't even play at Cannibal Cookers. I've got one at Wente Leagues and one at Toon Gabby. So, you know, I, I do know a lot of people throughout the district. And it's about keeping our district alive. Otherwise... You know, Parramatta's going to be no more if we continue to keep losing players to other districts. In a, True. In a way, that's almost an extension of the family ethos that the Cookers have, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's pretty much, you know, I didn't think about it like that until now. But, yeah, pretty much it is. N- Natalie, can you talk to us about any uh, special annual, day, annual days or events that happen for the club during the year? Okay, so pretty much the only big day we can offer our, our members is presentation day. So for us as a small club, we actually haven't had a major sponsor in the last 10 years that I've been there, possibly more. Um, we did have Richards on the Park a couple of years ago, but due to the legalities and, and that of, you know, because they're a pub, we couldn't actually put them on any of our juniors, junior gears, and we had an A-grade team that year. So they agreed to sponsor the A-grade team but donate some money to the juniors because that's who they really wanted to sponsor, the juniors. But because, you know, uh, legalities and all all kinds of things like that, um, at that time the secretary was told they couldn't have Yeah, there, there is a lot of red tape when it comes to yeah. gambling and alcohol. Um, yep. yep, and uh, like I, I get it, I understand that these are kids you don't want to be advertising, you know, gambling and alcohol. It's but it does make it hard for the smaller clubs who don't have the financial backing. I mean, we rely solely on the income from the canteen, so you know we'd love to have game days every week if we could. But then it yep. comes down to having the volunteers. So I think that's what makes our club special is because everybody pulls together to make sure the club can run for a whole day, you know, and it's just a matter of asking for for help, asking for volunteers. I mean, we don't always get every single parent, but that's a given. You're not going to get every parent to come down. Mm-hmm. For us, it's like if we get one or two parents, that that's good enough for us. So we've always talked about having members' days where, you know, we can just put on a big feed, get some jumping castles, play some games and just have a good cooker's day out. But we financially, we just can't afford it. And if we do, there's no guarantee the club will see the, the following year. Yep. So we've always had plans to try and do something for our club and to give back to our members. But it's that it's, it's the financial lacking, you know, that, that we don't have. That's why we don't, we genuinely don't, end up having days like that. but It's the challenge of the smaller club, isn't it? The challenge of being a smaller club. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, uh, we we do our own fundraisers during the year and that, I mean, it gets us money in, but 
not as much as we would like to put on a free day for our members. Because the last thing I want to do is put on a day for our members, but, oh, you'll have to pay for the rides or you'll have yeah. to pay for the food, you know, pay for entry. I mean, it's it's got to be about a give and take kind of thing, but I myself can't bring can't bring myself to do that. Not not to the to the members, or not to anybody really. Like it's always been something we've wanted to do, but just couldn't do. Yeah, we uh, mentioned COVID briefly earlier in our chat mm-hmm. in regards to the sort of squad composition for next year and how it's impacted there, but. Uh, it's impacted everyone else in in huge ways too across the last two years. Outside of yep. your participation rates for the next season, what challenges has COVID presented to the cookers, and what is the club looking forward to being able to do now that some of those uh, limitations are being lifted as we hit those vaccine thresholds? Well, as you know, life life throws challenges and curveballs at us every, every day. COVID was it was pretty hard for us. So when COVID initially hit last year. Um, the board and I made the heart-wrenching decision to not participate in last year's um, league season mm-hmm. due to the fact that, one, we don't have a major sponsor. Two, you know, the fact that we had to pay for all of our uniforms. Um, three, that we weren't going to be able to have a season to try and recruit some of our funds from last year. So we had to decide for the better of the club uh, not to participate, which... In the end, turned out to be a good thing. Um, fast forward to the beginning of this season, we had all our gears. We didn't have to spend any extra money. Um, so that was good on that front. Then we finally started having games and having um, home games at our field where we were able to try and recoup the money. And then um, Parramatta gave us opportunities to have two home games um a week after each other, and then COVID hit us again with another curveball, which then resulted in the end of the 2021 season. And I know for all the kids, it was the most disappointing thing they'd ever had to go through, um, not being able to play their sports, not being able to see their friends. Um, but, yeah, that was hard. And Looking forward to, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say the the whole disappointment from the young boys and girls. That's been the consistent response whenever we've asked this question amongst the handful of clubs that we've had a chance mm. to talk to across the last couple of months. The the fact that you've lost you know two seasons and the yep. social aspect you know just young boys and girls being able to play the yeah. game they love, hang out with the friends that they you know want to grow together socially with, and that that was just wiped yeah. out. Yeah, and that's like. Even, like, so us as adults, we try and create this family vibe, but the kids themselves, the players themselves, they make their own bonds with their own friends within the club. And then to not be able to see them at training nights and, you know, on Saturday games, like, I've had messages from most of my members, you know, especially from the teams that I'm not even a part of. They're like, you know, my, my son misses 40, he wants to go back, he... He misses going to the canteen on the training night, you know, to get lollies and whatnot. It's, so for me, it's the little things, the smaller things that are hard. Like, the kids are always going to be disappointed with the way, you know, with sports, school, seeing family and friends. The whole the whole thing was just turned upside down. So I think it's um, a lot easier for them now that community sports are starting back up. Um 
but yeah, it, that was probably the hardest thing is the kids being disappointed and not being able to see their friends. For the older kids, like my under 16s, they were gutted. It's a rep year for them. They missed out on Harold Maths last year. It got bumped up to an under 17s club. So again, they missed out due to um, now being too young to play in the under 17s Harold Maths. And then again, this year with reps, they're missing out again. And because some of them haven't been picked within the Parramatta district, they can't even go out of district because of COVID. They can't go and do face to face trials. They can't, you know, go and show other scouts what they've got because of COVID. So yeah, it's a the whole, one thing. whole cluster of kids that are just almost yeah, lost to the, the system. Exactly. Right? And it's hard to try and keep their spirits up and try to keep them training. So um, my partner actually coaches our eldest son's team. Um, and, and the bond that he has with those players is, you know, he keeps telling them, you know, just keep working, you know, just think of it as um, another obstacle, it's, you know, just work around it to get to your goal and, and you'll get there. So, it's been it's been a hard one for especially the older older ones, sixteens, eighteens, to just keep focused and keep chasing their dream. And it's even harder when you're not there train like, you know, when they're not training as a group and everybody's doing individual training and then, you know, you've also got to think of the mental health that these kids are going through. Yeah. You know? Hundred percent. Um, yep. Mental health for me is like the number one problem for our youth, especially in junior league, you know, with the the many rejections that they get, the being told, you know, oh, you need to work on this and just taking it a different way. A lot of these young kids don't know how to take criticism and they take it, instead of using it as positive criticism, criticism and using it to work towards their goal, a lot of them look at it as personal attacks. Mm-hmm. And then they start getting down on them, and then they don't want to train, and then you know it, they end up falling into the cycle. And we, as a community at Canada, we, we're trying to do more so that that doesn't happen. Yeah. But at I mean, the that, end of the day, a, it's going to happen everywhere. Issue, yeah, because that that is not just in football, but in life. Yeah. You know, obviously, you want to be able to respond to adversity and criticism, but sometimes yeah. the messaging comes back ne- in a negative sense and it yeah. creates that downward spiral you're talking about and been able to help these young boys and, and girls take that criticism and, and turn it into positive momentum and positive yeah. energy is, is huge. So, yeah, I'm, I am all about that sort of thing for Canley Vale. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's like I've, I've had my experiences, especially with mental health. Um, I won't say too much, but you know, the fact that this kid realised that he did have us there, we were more than just a football team, you know. Um, I explained to the kid who had, you know, troubles at home, broken home, um, you know, parents not really caring about him. You know, he was allowed to pretty much do his own thing. Um, he fell into a downward spiral and, he, you know, uh, he didn't say anything directly to me, but I could see him at training. He was down. Mm-hmm. You know, something was different about him. And I just pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, like I might be your manager. He might be your coach. He might be your trainer. But we're here 
outside of footy too, you know. If you need to talk, we're all here for you. He actually ended up talking to the coach, who's my partner, and he opened up. And honestly, he said to us the following week at training, you know, it was so good that he was able to open up because he felt like a weight was lifted off him. And all majority of the time, all these kids, all these young people with mental health issues, all they need is somebody to actually listen to them. Mm-hmm. Not, here, I hear what's coming out of your mouth, but, yeah, I, you yeah, know, exactly. it's just going to shrug it off, you know. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He just and, needed somebody to listen and actually see what he was going through. And, you know, for me, that that's always been a motivation. You know, if I can help one kid, then I can help many more. And, and you know, that's uh, it's something that's been very common that we found with uh, speaking to people such as yourself, uh, the secretaries of the clubs, is mm. is that importance within the community of um, sports clubs, of rugby league, junior yeah. rugby league clubs, because not not just for all of the the social aspect, but it's yeah. it, it as you say, it's it. it 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 offers so much more to the young yep. people. It is it, it's important for all levels of health, the, the physical yeah. aspect of it, but also that mental aspect and the yep. and the social interactions. It's just uh, you can't imagine uh, a society without having their their junior sports clubs for for people to um, just be able to interact in a positive way with others. Yep. And, and like, especially mental health is, you know, it's, whether we like to admit that it's there or not, it's growing and it's, you know, it's the numbers of people who are suffering from mental health are growing and they're getting out of control. So, you know, for me, it's it's always been about, um, you know, talk about it. If you can't talk to me about it, go to the next person, you know, find somebody within our club. And a lot of people have, a lot of people can go to other coaches, you know, like in regards to my 16s, they found that they're able to go to other coaching staff as opposed to their own. And that's fine as long as they've got somebody to talk to, somebody who's, you know, going to help them out of their rut because ultimately that's what it is for them. It's a rut and they're stuck and they don't know how to get out, but this person might be able to help them. Well, you know, well, got, well said, Natalie. You know, we've got awesome coaching staff like Felipe Tohi's father has been around for years. He is one of the hardest, one of the toughest coaches I know, but he's also one of the most passionate coaches. Um, he's very big on, you know, fitness, unity, commitment, um, being the role model for the next person. So he instilled that in Felipe Tohi and now he's doing that with his grandson's team. You know, and He's another person I look up to, you know. Kalepitohi, the way he comes back and he gives back to our club, he's given so much inside knowledge to my under-16s team who, you know, they're just about starting their rep level. He's given them great insight, you know, and how to shake off the haters and as well, shake off the haters and just keep it moving. That's uh, and it's great to hear uh, that there are people like Kalepi that that come yeah. back and give back to the club. Um, you, you've touched on some of the the challenges that you that you face and the the financial challenges, the logistical mm-hmm. challenges of being a, a small club. But um, I, is there who who 
how do you make ends meet? You touched on the canteen um, okay, and, the, yeah. and your, your minor level sponsors. So how do the cookers manage to make ends meet and go around year after year? Well, generally, it's um, all of our team managers end up going to get their own team sponsors. Um, yep. uh, I, I, one person I have to I have to mention in this article is definitely Tom Murphy. He he works for Star Partners since yes. I've been involved with this club. He has sponsored the under sixes and the under sevens every single year without fail. You know, and all he ever wants is just a photo with, with the sponsorship check. And he'll come down, like, you know, throughout the season and shout all the kids in the sixes and sevens a, a hot dog, a drink, and a packet of chips, you know, or a packet of lollies. I saw, He's been a great sponsor. I, I saw Mr. Murphy's connection to the the kookaburras, and I had a little yep. smile to myself because Star Partners are actually uh, involved with us as well. It seems they're very oh, passionate about there you go, yeah. the, the rugby league community uh, far and yeah. wide, which is really cool to see. So, yeah. so I know Tom actually sponsors a, a range of different sports. I know he does soccer and everything, and for he he's just he's awesome to be around when it comes to the kids because you can tell he's not doing this to get more clients. He's actually putting his money back into the community that he he works in and he lives in, and you know, like he's trying to help the community. I mean, I understand, especially over the last few years, businesses won't be able to financially support us, but um, generally it's team sponsors and then whatever we can fundraise. So the last few years, um, our teams have individually fundraised for their own team, you know, end of year breakup with just their own team and families. Um, But what they do before they fundraise for their own team, they'll fundraise for the club. Yeah. So, you know, their first fundraiser, all all funds um, raised will go back towards the club and then they'll do a team fundraiser and, you know, and it's just to put on a barbecue or something at a park and or get the kids a, you know, end of year present from the managers and stuff like that. But it, honestly, it, we're like a well-oiled machine where... We all roll together. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So out out outside of the the grant that you get annually from Parramatta Leagues Club, where we're going to be looking for maybe some major sponsors to about, jump was, on board to say, out there. Any, any that are listening. Yeah, I don't know how much um, clout we have, Sixties, <laughs> but we'll definitely kick the tyres on this. If you're a, a business located around the Canlevale area or the surrounds and you're not a pub club or some sort of gambling venue, yep. um, you know, 100%, if you want to be involved in an incredible little operation out there for the Cookers and be their major sponsor, then you know we've got the, the lady you need to talk to right here with Natalie. Um, but yep, we'd love to have you. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a broader stroke, Natalie, if you just want to be involved with the cookers in general, whether it's playing, coaching, being a major sponsor or a minor sponsor, or just helping out on weekends, what's the best way to get in touch? Best way would be just to call me um, or email cookerssec at hotmail.com or send a message to our public Facebook page. Um, every one of the board members get notifications for that, so... You might end up having to wait an hour or two as it's during work hours, but somebody will definitely get back to you. And that's uh, Canley Vale yeah. Cookers, JRLFC, 
um, for yep. Facebook as well. So yep. we'll, we'll leave all the links there uh, in the attached blog post. Uh, but yep. yeah, this, this is a, a fantastic club to be involved with, obviously. And usually, you know, Sixties and myself would be griping about management in rugby league, you know, the top level of the game. They're always changing mm-hmm. things. And, you know, why can't we just have consistency? But being able to talk to someone like yourself, Natalie, as always just reassures myself and Craig of – how many great people that are involved in our game and, and just how well the future of our game is in, in shape because of the people like you that help create the fabric of, of the most important parts of, of the formative parts of our game. So uh, it's been oh. fantastic chatting for Natalie. It is truly, I have a smile on my face just from the way you've been able to present what the cookers mean. Uh, you're oh, obviously I- incredibly passionate and you're a fantastic person. And, and I do stress to anyone listening that, if you can get involved with the Cookers, please do, because they're obviously a fantastic family club. Come and join our family. And uh, <laughs> as you mentioned, once a cooker, always a cooker, right? Eh? That's it. Once a cooker, always a cooker. Thank you for your time, Natalie. This has been truly a great chat, and I hope the Cookers can um, get through and get back to playing some football like all the other junior clubs now. Thank you so much for all your guys' work that you're doing to, to get all of our stories out. Appreciate you guys and your time. You're a legend, Natalie. You keep well, okay? Thanks. And thanks once again to the wonderful Natalie, who was an absolute delight to interview there. Uh, 60s, mate, I think it's time for us to wrap up. You got anything to say before we put the, uh, uh, no, put this one back into the record books? Well, mate, as per usual, really jammed plenty into our tip sheet podcast. Again, uh, thanks to Natalie from the Keenly Vale Cookers. I really hope if there's anyone out there who is looking to get involved with a junior club mm-hmm. as a major sponsor that you consider the Cookers because they are a, a fantastic smaller club. And as that song goes, from little things, big things grow. And I think that that could very well be their theme music yeah, going forward. So, just, just the stress, um, too. If you're not a pub club or some sort of gambling uh, corporation, uh, please, if you're interested in, in sponsoring a fantastic uh, small club that could use every bit of support it can get, then, yeah, consider the Canley Vale Cookers. Well said, mate. Yeah, and that wraps up a, a very busy episode, mate. Uh, like we said, there's been re-signings, signings, departures, uh, amalgamations of junior systems, speculation about the Dolphins. Um, we've had everything in this episode, and it's uh, probably a good place to end it because if we keep talking, I'm going to end up getting a raspy voice. <laughs> well, mate, the the content will keep on coming on the Cumberland throws. So there's there's plenty of content that will uh, continue to come your way throughout the off season and the countdown to the preseason. It's it's really getting close because I think we'll have the first of the Parramatta players uh, back on deck in around about uh, four weeks' time for uh, the early the ones that return to pre-season uh, first so stick with us we'll be there to report on that and whatever news is coming around through uh, about the Parramatta Reels. Yeah I know I'm looking forward to the first training report I'll get stuck into that as soon as you post it uh, but as always ladies and gentlemen thanks for stopping by thanks for listening uh, it does mean a lot to us you can always give us a, a like on SoundCloud uh, if you want to otherwise join the comment section on TCT and enjoy the conversation. Stay safe guys we'll catch you soon. Bye. <laughs>